give Kevin Baker a hand here. Good job. Hey, I taught him everything he knows. That's why he's so awesome. And he stole my name from me because I'm older than him, so he just liked it so much. Uh, but hi, I'm Kevin Valentine. Um, I'm the lead pastor here. Glad that you are here with us today. And we thought we'd start out with a cool little song. We're in this series called Battle Ready, and it's a good fight song. And uh, what's the name of that song? You guys know it. Another One Bites the Dust by... Queen, right. And you know what that takes me back to? Keith, are you in the room? Man, my little brother's here. That takes me back to our uncle had a roller rink. I mean, back before rollerblades. You're talking four-wheel, side-by-side, roller, roller skates. And, uh, man, shooting the duck, doing the limbo. It was awesome. You remember that? Like, that's a great song. So when you have that song stuck in your head this week, it came from church, right? You're going to go, hey, where did that song come from? Church. All right, so anyways, hey, I've got a couple of announcements for you I'm leading into the day. Uh, just to let you know what's going on. First off, if you are new here, or new for the first couple times here and you would like to connect with us, there's a, a very special number that you need to put in your phone. It is 407-278-7291. It's an important number because of what it can do for you when you use it the way I'm going to share with you in a couple minutes. But right now, if you text the word new to that number, um, it will get you in a queue so that we can get your information, get you on our e-blast, and we can, you can kind of let us know who you are and we can let you know a little bit about who you are. And I would love for you to to do that. Secondly, um, again, as when you come on property, we are guests at Windermere Prep. And just a reminder for everybody, we've been doing so good at this. During the service, we need everybody to keep their masks on the whole time, unless you're like, cross this special line, because coronavirus can't come across this line. Um, but uh, keep your mask on while you're in the seats, and then all the way out to the parking lot until you get in your car. Um, and I know, you know, it's like, man, that has been going on for a long time. But we just want to be uh, really honoring of Windermere Prep, and that's kind of their campus rules. And so we want to follow those and just be good um, good in relationship with Winter Prep. We're good, good friends. So I um, wanted to let you know about that. Next is something I'm excited about every year. Um, we do what we call Thanksgiving Baskets, where we um, go into some neighboring communities that are struggling, um, specifically Tildenville and East Winter Garden. There are a number of families in those areas that are going to really struggle to put a Thanksgiving meal on the table for Thanksgiving. And so what we do every year is we go and find where those families are and who they are, and we come to you and we say, would you be willing to adopt a family for Thanksgiving and help them put a Thanksgiving dinner on their table? And so when you walk out, there are these manila envelopes, and in each envelope is a family and their contact information um, and an address and a list of ingredients and some stuff to give to them. And we're asking you to go to the store, buy a laundry basket, and put all the ingredients and stuff that's on the list for them for Thanksgiving, and then deliver it on the week of Thanksgiving and say, he'll say meet the family. You know, you work out a time with them, um, and then, you know, deliver the meal and hopefully get a chance to to meet them and pray with them and uh, just bless them for the holidays. Uh, we only have 30 families. We might need to get some more. About 14 of those families are gone after the first service. So there are 16 families left, and I would just love for you to adopt a family and, uh, and just bless them for Thanksgiving, and that's something that we're excited to do. And on top of that, what we're excited about is this year, we uh, went to Dillard Elementary School, one of our partners um, here locally in Winter Garden, and um, they actually have 20 more families that they just said, we've got 20 families that are going to need help to have a Thanksgiving dinner. And so we as a church and our staff are going to put those meals together and deliver them to the school. We can't deliver them to homes because the school can't give out that information. So we're going we're gonna to go for 50 families this year to just help them have a great Thanksgiving. And so thank you for being a part of that. Um, and, and along with that, uh, next thing I've got for you 
is um, a way to connect with us. There's this number here, 407-278-7291. I'm going to say that number a lot because we want you to use it. Um, if you would like information about our men's ministry, text men to that number. It is not a dating service. It's for information for our men's ministry. Um, text volunteer if you want to become a part of one of our teams. If you want to get into a life group and do life with other people um, and, and study God's word, text groups. And this word over here, care, is really important. It is a very confidential um, word on this list list of words because if you are somebody that needs help um, putting food on your table, because of what's happened over the last nine months with this coronavirus thing and, and making ends meet, um, paying your light bill, paying rent, um, any assistance that you need. In fact, we just had somebody who is a recruiter with Universal that said, if you need help putting your resume together and, and, and making that happen, they would love to come alongside and help you. But just so you know, because I know it's hard to ask for help sometimes, um, this is a completely confidential ask. Like if you text into that number, no one will know your information except for our care department, and they will help you out and make sure that you're taken care of. And that number is also good for people that you know that um, that probably might not be willing to ask, but you know they need help, um, we would love to come alongside them. And you can text that number for them as well. And I would encourage you to do so. Um, now, one of the things that allows us to be generous for people that are needing help um, and to do a lot of the things that we do is the fact that you guys are a generous church. And I'm so grateful for those of you that have continued to give faithfully over this whole pandemic. Um, and, and, uh, and I'm just grateful for you. Thank you for obeying God. And I know there's so many blessings that come with giving. And so thank you for those of you that have given faithfully and for those of you that want to and want to jump in and, uh, and give back to God from what he's given to you. Uh, there's three easy ways to do that. Kensington, Orlando.org slash giving is one of the ways on our website you can give there. Um, it's a secure way to give. We also have an app, the My Well Giving app. You can go on there and set it up, and it's just like Cash App or something else like that. Or if you like to give in person, um, there is a couple of boxes on your way out, and you can drop um, any offerings or gifts you have in there. Now, today, we are in uh, the second week of a series called Battle Ready, where we're talking about spiritual warfare. And you have the privilege of hearing from one of my favorite communicators that I listen to, and that is Chris Zarbaugh is here with us all the way from Michigan. Let's give him a hand. We're excited about that, <clears throat> but he's going to be sharing with us today. And in week two of this series, we are talking about the breastplate of righteousness. Every villager able to wield a sword has been sent to the armory. My lord. Who am I, Camling? King, sire. And do you trust your king? Your men, my lord, will follow you to whatever end. Thank you. 
right, well, good morning. And did you feel the intensity? We did that on purpose because uh, really the, the weight and the feeling of going to war uh, is exactly that way. And, and that's the feeling we want to create when we dive into uh, what the Apostle Paul talks about when he wrote half the New Testament. He covered this whole idea of putting on battle armor. And so this clip with, uh, I think, Lord of the Rings, right? We chose it on purpose because uh, he's, you know, he's actually putting on the breastplate of the, of the part of the armor. And then also you can just hear him, you know, just like, how did he come to this? And then you see the soldiers come in and you start to anticipate, wow, there is a war and a battle that's going to take place. Hey, before I jump into the message, I want to go ahead and say, uh, I'm just thrilled to be here. Uh, so just like Kevin said, I come down it's a couple times uh, a year and I take a break and I'm with you guys and it feels like family to me when I'm here. And so uh, I see people out in the, and they're like, hey, Chris, I'm like, oh, family. So anyway, I just, I love being here. Thanks for having me. And so as we jump into the topic today, would you pray with me as we get started? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. We ask your blessing on our time together. And as we look at your word, help us to understand and to know Father, what it is that you're encouraging us to, that you're uh, drawing us to, that you're uh, challenging us to. And I pray, Father, that we would have the courage to respond accordingly. We love you, we thank you, and we pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So I'm going to start out by asking a survey, and you can't lie because you're in church. You have to raise your hand, okay? You're in church, so you'll go to double hell if you lie. So, um, so here's, the, here's the question, if you're willing to admit this, or if you're listening online, you can think uh, at home. How many of you have ever been in a physical altercation, like you've been in a fight, and you lost? You straight up got your butt whipped. Anybody? All right, so there you go. Look, there's a lot of us in the room, all right? And there's a pretty large percentage of us that know what's that like, what, what that's like. And by the way, it's worse when you didn't start the fight or you didn't look for it or even want it. Uh, it's also worse when the opponent defeats you because you're not as tough as the opponent. And what's even worse than that is you get defeated because you were blindsided or you were completely unprepared, like, you know, just an attack that you didn't see coming. And so this next story that I'm about to share with you contains all three of those aspects uh, from my life. And so I was thinking about all the fights I got into as a kid, which were many. I grew up on the blue collar side of Youngstown, Ohio, where getting punched in the face at least once a week was a common thing, sometimes with your friends, sometimes with your enemies, but at least getting punched in the face once a week. But anyway, all that to say, I remember some serious altercations and some fights that I was in. One that came to mind was at St. Brendan's Festival when I was about maybe, I don't know, maybe a sophomore or junior. I was probably a junior in high school. And, um, and I went to Cheney High School and the rival school was Boardman High School. And there was actually several rivals, truth be told, but Boardman was one of them. And so we were at St. Brennan's Festival, this traveling fair that would go around to different church parking lots. And St. Brennan's was a pretty big one. And, you know, we would all go there and all the high schoolers would walk around because there's nothing else to do in Youngstown. And so we had all this, you know, all these people there. So I was with my buddy, Jeff Miller. It was just Jeff and I, both of us went to Cheney. And we noticed that there was a group of uh, girls and guys from Boardman, uh, the, the rivaling school. And there was two girls, one girl Jeff knew, and it looked like they were having a heated conversation. So Jeff said, hey, let's swoop in. And so we walked over and Jeff's like, hey, is there a problem here? Because he wants to defend this girl who looked pretty upset. Well, immediately uh, the guy, there's three guys, and they stepped in and they looked at us and they're like, yeah, there's a problem here. You're the problem. And then all of a sudden it's getting serious. I'm like, oh no. And I'm standing behind Jeff because Jeff's like six foot and he's a little bit broader than me. And I'm like, I'm only like five foot, none of your business. And I'm really small. And so 
I remember trying to be a peacekeeper, and, and there was three of them, and so I stepped forward, and I only spoke once, and I tried to say something like, hey, guys, let's all just calm down and be friends, and one of the guys in the back, the big one, absolutely huge, he, I remember he had a blue tank top on, like a wife beater blue tank top, and he was just, just huge, he had blonde hair, straight jaw, you know, and I, and I didn't know his name, but we'll give him a nickname for this story, uh, you know, we'll call him the Incredible Hulk, okay, so the Incredible Hulk uh, looks at me, and I said, hey, guys, let's all calm down. And he looks right at me, and he goes, hey, shut up, or I'll destroy you. And I was like, because uh, that's what he said. I know shut up's not a great word, but that's what he said. And so I literally backed up, and I was like, uh, and I'm just hiding. Well, pretty soon, Jeff knows it's going to go down. So Jeff says, go find Dominic Motorelli. So I run over to the quarter machines where all the quarters are dropping, and I'm like, Dominic, these guys. And Dominic was clearly underage drinking because that's just kind of what Dominic did. Uh, but he would punch anybody. So we're like, Dominic, come punch this guy. So Dominic runs over to our defense. And so, and so Jeff was like, oh, Dominic's there. So Dom's Hey, what's the problem? We know, like, okay, he's going to take this, these guys out, right? So now we're feeling more confident in this rumble that we have going on. And then all of a sudden, the police officer steps in. And then we're thinking, oh, okay, this, this is going to go bad. And then the police officer clearly immediately starts to recognize that Dominic was underage and drinking. So he starts to talk to Dominic. Well, Dominic, this next part is very bad. I'm just going to tell you, this next part is very bad. Dominic punches the police officer. And so he hits the, the cop, and the cop goes, you know, steps back. He didn't go down, but he went back. And then all of a sudden, Dominic realized what he did, and so he just runs. He just takes off running. And so, like, the whole parking lot's lit up, and then there's a huge football field, and he just runs into the darkness through this field. And all of a sudden, all the Bourbon guys start chasing Dominic, which, of course, means they're going to find him and, you know, all gang up on him and beat him up, which means all the Cheney guys started chasing all the Boardman guys. And there's like 50 people running through this field. And so, you know, the police officer's like calling for backup, and he's like, hey, I got a 242, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, no, what's happening? So I just start running, and I'm running through the field in the darkness, and it had just rained. So I slipped, and I fell in the mud, and it was like a lot of mud. And so I'm laying in the mud, and I'm like, oh, no, and I'm getting up. And you know how when you get up, you're off balance, right? So I'm literally getting up, and I'm just off balance like this, and I'm looking at the crowd of people running at me. And here comes the Incredible Hulk. And so he's running. And so what's so funny about this story is I wasn't even an afterthought for him. I mean, he didn't care. It's not like he said, oh, there's the kid that started everything. Let's stop and have an altercation with him. Nothing like that. He just thought, oh, look, there he is. Let me punch him. So as he's running by, how many of you know an uppercut is the strongest punch that there is, right? Does anybody know that in boxing? If you land an uppercut, that's, that's the strongest punch that there is. So I'm off balance. My head is right there. And he walks by and he's like, oh, look, the kid. Boom! And he hits me as hard as he can. At least it felt that way. And he kept on running on. So I literally fly into the mud, hit me right here on the side. My eye immediately swole shut, completely black and blue, right? I found that out later. And as I was laying there in the mud, I literally got up. And I think it might have even been like I might have blacked out. Because by the time I got up, everybody was gone. And I just started swinging. So I got up and I was like, ah, ah, ah. I looked around. I was like, nobody's even here around me. And I was like, wow. So I'm left muddy, covered in mud. My eyes swollen shut. I feel like, you know, a freight train just hit my face. Nobody's around me. So I'm like, I guess I just got to go back to Jeff's house. I can't go to my house. So I go to his house, wait on his front porch, couldn't get in for like three hours till Jeff finally comes crawling back into his driveway at like 1 a.m., so he gets dropped off by somebody. I had the car. He comes walking over. I'm in the dark, sitting there waiting on him. 
He proceeds to tell me that the whole gang met up at Cheney McDonald's, had this big altercation, a Corvette comes in, somebody took a baseball bat, beat up this Corvette, it was this big rival thing, and I said, well, did anybody get in a fight? No, no, not one punch was thrown. It's amazing, nobody got in a fight, not one punch was thrown. And then I step into the light, and he's like, oh, except for that one, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> and, I, and I get this big swollen eye shot, and I was like, Jeff, all of this started because you said, come on, let's go over and let's see, let's check on Lisa. I'm like, you walk out unscathed, come back with this fantastic story. I think it's so great. I'm sitting on your porch covered in mud, not even washed off with this big, huge black eye. And so I look back at all the times I was ever in a fight or a rumble or whatever you call it. And I think to myself, that was one of the worst because there's nothing worse than getting sucker punched and you were unprepared for it and then the person's clearly, you know, tougher than you and then you were off balance to begin with and there's just nothing worse than that. Well, I, I start to think that way when I think about the Apostle Paul, who again wrote half of the New Testament just about. And he covers in this letter to Ephesus, in the book we call Ephesians, where he's writing to the Christians of that city. And he's basically giving them three things. He's giving like awareness, like, hey, I want to give you awareness and give you information about what I believe to be a spiritual battle. Then number two, he's giving us advice. And he's saying, and here's what I believe to be true. And here, here's, here's what you need to do to prepare yourself spiritually for a spiritual warfare battle that's happening. And then I believe also it carries with it, although it's not said, it carries with it the implication of a warning. In other words, like there has to be a warning of going into a battle without your armor. And so I believe that that is implied as well. And so I believe that there is a spiritual warfare. Yes, I believe there is a literal spiritual battle uh, where there are spiritual forces every day that battle both for and against your protection or your harm. I believe that it does happen. Although I'm not a person that believes that the devil is in everything. Have you ever met that kind of person? Must be the devil. You ever see the water boy? It's the devil, <laughs> all that stuff. Like, like I'm not that type of person, but it is a balance that we have to walk every day because we do believe in spiritual forces. And so I remember one time when I was a young pastor at my very first church, I was in my 20s, and the worship pastor guy uh, unpacked a sound system for an event, and he, and he plugged it in, and it was making this horrible noise, like this really horrible noise. And I remember our administrative assistant had walked over, and she was this southern girl because it was in Atlanta, Georgia, and she immediately started praying demons to come out of the sound system. And she was praying demons to come out of the sound system. And I was like, what? And then the, then the worship guy comes over to the board, and he goes, and he literally says out loud, he goes, or you could just twist this knob. And then walked away, and then the noise left. And I thought to myself, that's hilarious, first of all. She's praying for demons to come out of the sound system. He walks over and he's like, or you can just take the game down. And so I thought to myself, that is the fine line that we walk in life, isn't it, when, when, when approaching this subject? You know, so here you have one person who thinks that, you know, there's a, there's a spiritual reason and an enemy behind everything, it seems like. And you have another person in the moment that thought that this has nothing to do with anything spiritual. This is a very technical and practical solution, and I've just proven it. And so, there, and so there, you have both sides of the equation, don't we? But here's what I also believe. I believe that if we, you know, if we are practical thinking, skeptic people uh, who believe in a supernatural God, then you and I have to press into that tension and that we have to understand what God's word says about the spiritual versus the seen, you know, the seen and the unseen. Because if we miss out 
on this advice and this awareness and this warning. But I believe that you and I run the risk of walking and going through life defeated unnecessarily, losing battles spiritually and not even truly understanding why as opposed to living in victory, living with you know, the, the abundant life and the joy and the purpose and the fulfillment that God not only wants for us but also promises to us. So we're going to look at the book of Ephesians. And we've covered some of this, uh, a lot of this last week, but let's review it again. In chapter 6, look how it reads in verse number 10. It says, finally be strong in the Lord, Paul says, and his mighty power. And then here's the charge. Put on the full armor of God. And he goes on piece by piece to explain it. And he says, so that, and by the way, I highlighted that phrase because those two words in the Greek mean literally for the purpose of so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. In other words, clearly there's an opposing power to everything good that God wants for you. There's someone that stands against you, and therefore the charge is for you to stand against you know, that force. For our struggle, Paul says, is not against flesh and blood. In other words, like your enemy at work may not be your boss. Your enemy, you know, in, in, in your cul-de-sac may not be your frenemy because there are things that come at you that are also spiritual in nature. Your ultimate battle is, is, is to understand that there's somebody for you spiritually and somebody against you. And so it says your enemy, your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly realms. In verse number 13, he says, therefore, therefore means it's connected to everything we've just said. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that, there's that phrase again, that when the day of evil comes, when that moment comes, you may be able to stand your ground, that you have done everything to stand. And then he goes on to say how to do it. And he says, stand firm then with, and he lists the items, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and by the way, if you missed that, you, I encourage you to go online last week. Kevin did a great job with unpacking that. And it says, and then today is with the breastplate of righteousness. So there, there's a lot that goes into that. And so today we're going to talk about the practical part of the armor of the breastplate of righteousness, what the word righteous means. We're going to talk about what it means to put it on. We're going to talk about the benefits of wearing it and the how-to, and then even the warnings against not wearing it in life as well. And we're going to kind of bob and weave through all of that sort of explanation today, okay? Now, we're going to start off with a, uh, a physical uh, illustration. So this is Travis. Everybody give Travis a huge round of applause as he comes out. And so Travis is wearing a very modern Roman soldier army or, you know, kind of a breastplate. Can you feel any of that? Nope. Okay. And by the way, in the, in the film of Lord of the Rings, you saw the old-timey type of breastplate where actually it was one piece of iron or maybe a wealthier soldier would have a piece of bronze. Uh, we also know that it had, you know, places for the shoulders to protect the shoulders. And then also it was fastened and rested on the hips because they didn't want the soldier to have the weight of the armor on the, uh, on the shoulders because of the ability to fight. So therefore, it was actually rested on the hips and fastened with the belt of truth. So the belt of truth, actually, I believe there's a very significant reason why the Apostle Paul went in the order of belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. And I also believe that there's a reason why he, he, he uh, attached a value and a virtue to each one of these items. But 
I'm getting a little ahead of myself. So uh, not, not just one piece. This is different than one piece, isn't it? It's, it's, it's all these sort of pieces that go together so that flexibility and movement is, is, uh, is allowed more so. So this is actually a modern version that gives you the same strength and protection but allows flexibility. And I think also you've seen like chain mail and leather on like medieval knights, which was also acting like a breastplate of righteousness. And, and this is an important piece because it covers vital organs in the body, right? So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like you to take this and put this. And by the way, I love the fact that you're in bare feet. If I were in a battle with you, I would just stick your feet right to the stage. That'd be awesome. But uh, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to see if I could hurt you. So go ahead and stand here. And I, I've got a little illustration um, that I have right here. So I thought I'd have a little fun and see if he feels any of this. So uh, we're going to start out pretty gentle and tell me if you, <laughs> hopefully I have good aim, but how many of you feel this? Nope. You don't feel that at all? Okay, very good. All right, let's try a little harder, shall we? All right, here we go. You didn't feel that at all. All right, so very good. So take, take a step back. Here we go. How many of you think I could hit, uh, I could aim well? <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. And by the way, he's doing that because the first service, I hit him in, in, in the sensitive spot. So here we go. So here we go. Hopefully I'm going to do this. I haven't pitched in a long time. Oh, this is a good wind up. We're going to see how it goes. Ah! Oh. <laughs> I did it again. <laughs> oh my gosh. How's your hand? Did I hurt your hand? I literally hit your hand. So in other words, I would have hit your spot there. Very good. So I, I guess pitching, the pitching motion has me go lower than the chest. So I'm very sorry to hurt your hand. I'm glad it was only your hand. But everybody give Travis a huge round of applause. Wow, that is amazing. I promise you I did not try that. I, I did that first service and he didn't cover himself. And I, and I hit him and, and I'm, I can't believe that. I guess that's, it's muscle memory, I guess. It goes a little bit lower. So anyway, the point is, is that you can see that as hard as I hit him in the chest, obviously it's just with a tennis ball, but you could probably punch him as hard as you could. He would feel the force of the punch, but not yet, you know, feel, uh, uh, you know, the, the damage that comes with that. And especially with um, you know, uh, sort of a sword, right? Because after all, he does have the shield and, and Paul would say, put on the shield of faith. Uh, but you know, there are multiple people battling at one time. And so you have to have extra protection, especially uh, when you have vital organs. So this is what I'm going to say about this passage is that there are so many things in the Bible that are very rich and deep when it comes to metaphors. And there's only really a few of them that are as deep as this. Uh, for instance, I'll give you an example. Like um, Psalm 23 talks about the, the relationship between a shepherd and a sheep. And those who are in the first century, and especially beforehand, they know everything there is to know about shepherding. They know everything there is to know about the dependence that a sheep has uh, for a shepherd. Jesus carried it into the New Testament. That illustration, that metaphor is so rich because so many truths and comparisons can come out of just that one simple example. Uh, another example that's really rich is when Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And then the fruit and everything that comes out of that metaphor can be applied in our lives in so many ways. And it's so deep and it's so rich. And I also believe that this right here is one of them as well. Because especially if you lived in the first century, you understood what 
uh, going into battle with armor meant. And you also probably witnessed firsthand what it meant to see somebody battle somebody with armor and without armor. And without armor, you're dead instantly, probably, right? And so think about this. So the, the intricacies of attaching a virtue, you know, there's a reason why you're going to find out where it says, you know, the gospel of peace is attached to the feet. I mean, that's a big deal, the reason why the Apostle Paul uh, attached it to that. And we're going to cover that later on in this series. There's a reason why it's a shield of faith. There's a reason why it's a belt of truth. And let me just tell you the reason why. Because the belt of truth is the centerpiece that, excuse me, fastens the breastplate of righteousness. So in other words, without truth, you can't have righteousness. Because righteousness is literally living out the truth of God. Believing what he says and then trying to act and live out a righteous life. That's what applying the breastplate of righteousness is. It is to actually try to be, we, our attempt to, to live a righteous life is based entirely upon the truth that Jesus says is true, you know, how we, how we should live. So once truth is given, that's the, that's, the, that's the foundation. So that's the reason why I believe it's significant that he says the belt of truth is the one that holds the breastplate of righteousness in place, and it's directly connected to the application of living out that which is true in our lives. And so if I were to try to unpack that a little bit more, I would say this, that I believe it's also significant of, of what it protects, because I don't know if the Apostle Paul meant this, but think about it. The, 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 the breastplate of righteousness primarily protects the heart, the lungs, and the entire digestive tract. And so think about this. Okay, the heart. Think about all the other places in the scripture where the heart is used uh, with, with a biblical comparison. And what does Solomon say? Solomon says, above all, and he's the wisest man who ever lived. And he says, above all, guard your heart. And what he's referring to is he's referring to the desires that you have and then your conscience. And then do you know that when, when, when we consider the lungs, did you know that the lungs are always something in the Bible that is used to compare and attach to the Holy Spirit? When Jesus uh, said the Holy Spirit is going to come, it said he literally breathed on them. When we talk about breathing the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, uh, Ezekiel says he, uh, that God breathed a breath and then, you know, and then the dry bones came to life. And so literally the Holy Spirit is associated with breath and I think that that's significant. And then also uh, digesting. Think about all the places in the scripture where Jesus talks about clean versus unclean and that which goes in your body and, and, and comes out through the digestive tract. And then other parts in the, in the New Testament where it talks about eating and digesting, you know, spiritual food and milk and talking about, you know, even digesting the experiences of life that we go through, you know, digesting in a way to, you know, assimilate and process and react to the, the, the things in life. Now, again, I'm not sure if the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this, meant all of those things. I just think it's significant because I think that the illustration and the metaphor is very rich because the things that the righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness protects are actually the very things that are essential for righteous living, right? That we should guard our heart and our desires. That's really essential for righteous living, isn't it? That we should actually depend on the power of the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, is, is key. And then also to, you know, uh, you know, digest spiritual food and milk so that we can develop ourselves spiritually as we conform to the righteousness of Christ, you know, and then, and then process life experiences. And again, I think that's the, one of the reasons why it's a very rich metaphor. 
And so um, let me explain about the righteousness part, okay? Let me take that, that, that term, breastplate of righteousness, and let me break that down. Uh, Paul says in, other, in another book, in the book of Romans, that this righteousness that we have doesn't come from us. That actually comes from Christ. That the righteousness that we have comes from Christ. I mean, the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 64 in the Old Testament, tells us even our righteousness, our own righteousness, are still like filthy rags compared to a sinless God. That the only way that we can live out a righteous life is to recognize that the righteousness that you and I have today is only present in our lives because it comes from Jesus and it is not of our own. So look what it says in Romans chapter 3. Uh, Paul says, but now, and by the way, but now means this is a brand new idea back then. And although you may have heard this before, and it may not be a new concept for you in the first century, this is a brand new thought. So, but now, he says, righteousness, and I put in my own parentheses, my own insertion, was righteous, which means right standing with God. You know what it means to have a right standing with someone? It means that there's nothing in between you in your relationship. And so that's what that word means. So, but now a righteousness or a right standing with God from God, he says. So this righteousness and this right standing doesn't come from you, but from him. Apart from the law or obedience or trying harder or doing better because you don't have it in you to do it. So the righteousness you have with God is from God and it's not from you. And it says, it has been made known to which the Old Testament, is what he's trying to say here, to which the law and the prophets testify. So this brand new thought doesn't, doesn't actually conflict with the Old Testament, Paul is saying. It's actually supporting the Old Testament as he's writing the New Testament. And he says, this righteousness or right standing with God, from God, comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So it's an internal thing. And he says, there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption. Redemption is to redeem something, to buy back uh, that came by Christ Jesus. And by the way, Christ Jesus, whenever you see Christ before Jesus, it's not because Christ was his last name and, and they're going back and forth. It's because Christ was his title. And so whenever you see Christ Jesus, it is, it is Paul's way of actually uh, leaning on and magnifying, uh, you know, the, the redemptive work of Christ. In other words, like, like, I know this is a hard concept to believe, but it is made possible because of Jesus's Messiah power, Christ Jesus. That's why it's written that way. And so uh, that word justified, I actually highlighted because justified literally means just as if I have never sinned. So there's a difference between justification and sanctification. And let me explain it this way, okay? So the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians tells us to put on the armor of God. Let me talk about that for a second, okay? Putting on the armor of God. And you'd say, what does that mean? Do I put it on once or do I put it on daily? Because if I were to, I mean, you know, if I were to uh, put on the righteousness of Christ for salvation, in other words, to get to heaven... I've always heard that's a one-time thing. I don't have to keep redoing it. You know, once saved, always saved. Do I have to get saved every day? What does that mean? Well, think about this, okay? There's a difference between, um, you know, the righteousness of Christ that covers our sins to get us into heaven, and there's also a major difference between living out a righteous living, you know, righteous living, or living out righteous living and making daily choices. Those are two different things. And just like 
any part of our walk of faith, there's almost always two categories, right? There's God's forgiveness to get to heaven, and then there's God's forgiveness when we sin every day. In this case, there's the righteousness that we have to get to heaven, and then there's the righteousness that we try to apply every day. So justification is is a one-time deal, right? We're justified in God's eyes through the righteousness of his son. In fact, when we stand in front of God, the only thing that he sees in us is not our sin nature, which we all have, that is dominant, but it's actually he sees the righteousness of his son. That's what it says. So justification is a one-time deal. It's one and done. But sanctification is a different deal. Sanctification is living out you know, uh, the righteous living and trying to make good choices, to lean on, you know, the, the, the truth that God says is true, that we should believe and act out and live and make good choices of righteous living. That's sanctification, being conformed to the image of God's Son. That's God's end game. That at the end of our lives, we'll never be perfect, but we're going to get closer and closer to be conformed to the image of His Son until one day we get to heaven and we're all made perfect in his glory. So again, two different deals. When we put on the armor of God, it's almost as if the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians is implying that it's a daily thing, and it's because it is. That because we get to heaven through Jesus, but we get up every day and we have to realize this same righteous nature of Jesus that is inherent, you know, inherently his and not ours is a daily choice. So guess what? We get up every day and we choose to react in hatred or we choose to react in love. We can choose to, you know, post something that is helpful or choose to post something that is not helpful. We have, we have a choice every single day to react and interact with people. And here's the thing, just like salvation, it's not dependent on us because you and I don't have the power to be righteous. We don't. That's why it says this righteousness comes from God. It is only by praying. You want to know how you put on the breastplate of righteousness? It comes simply by this. God, help me. That's it. Help me to make the right choice. I don't have the strength to do it myself, right? Help me to react right. Help me to uh, think about your word, to remind myself of what is true, Every time I sing a worship song, it just reminds me of what is true. Father, help me to overcome all these different lies about fear and my identity and my self-worth. You know, God, help me. That's the reason that we need to pray that way. So let me go ahead and say this, that when, when Jesus was asked about, uh, you know, about worrying about the different uh, you know, the facets of life, here's what he said in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 31. Jesus said, therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things, even the godless people seek. And he refers to them as Gentiles of the time. For your heavenly Father knows all that you need. He knows that you need all these things. And then he says, but, and this is a command given to the listeners and also a principle that applies to you and me today. But seek first two things, the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. Okay, and then all these things shall be added to you. The kingdom of God refers to God's will on earth. And the righteousness of God means the only way to accomplish and be a part of God's will on earth is try to live righteously. And so depend on and seek and desire the righteousness of God in your life. Right? And by the way, uh, I don't know if you know what it's like 
to inherit something and then to take credit for it that's not yours when it comes to your nature or character. Let me explain it this way. I thought about it this way. Um, I inherited a reputation based on my older brothers. My older brothers, I'm the youngest of five boys. We all went to Cheney High School, and they were, they were hellions. I mean, just hellions. They were just, they were notorious for fighting. And so I remember my very first day in algebra class, Mr. Erickson was a, was, a, was a peculiar algebra teacher. He was a great guy. Everybody loved him. And I was looking so forward to, you know, my relationship with Mr. Erickson. He, everybody cheered him for pep rallies, opening pep rally. He would say, uh, clap your hands, stomp your feet. We're number one. And everybody loved him. They would cheer. Ah, he's so great. You know, whatever. So I was just looking forward to this guy. And I remember my very first day, he was doing roll call. And he called out and he said, okay, you know, going down the alphabetical list, Patty Wynn, here, uh, Miss Yanarella, here, and it's my turn. And he goes, Chris Zar, and he stops and he goes, Zarba. He goes, any relation to Chuck or Don Zarba? And I said, yeah, they're my older brothers. And he goes, literally said this, get up, get your books, go to the class, go to the back of the classroom, sit down and shut up. That's what he told me. Hey, it's 1980-something. You're allowed to do that, I guess. And that's what he said to me on day one. Because I had this reputation. And by the way, it was very bad with teachers, but it was very good with students. Like, nobody messed with me. They heard my last name, and they're like, oh, he must be tough. Although I wasn't tough at all. Like, nobody knew that. But I just had a reputation for being tough because my older brothers were. So I had a good, I had a reputation that I inherited that I got credit for, but it actually wasn't even my true nature at all. You see, that's what it means to actually inherit the righteousness of Christ, to, to, to overshadow our sinful nature, and then to live out the righteousness. And somehow people look at you and they'll say, oh, he's such a good person. She's such a good person. And, and meanwhile, in our mind, we're like, I can't take credit for any of it. Because if not for the power of God in my life, I wouldn't be doing any of those things. Because what I want to do is say something that I shouldn't say. What I want to do is, you know, retaliate. I want to repay. I want to do all those things. Only by the power of God, you're seeing the good side of me. Ding, right? And so you and I uh, inherit that. So let me just say it this way. There's a major difference between understanding the truth and living the truth. There's a, there's a difference between understanding what is true from God's word and then living out what is true. That's the difference. That's what righteousness means. It means to literally live out the truth. So it's the difference between implication and application. You know, I think the Bible implies this versus I'm going to apply this, right? It's the difference between Bible reading and being battle ready, right? Because you can read the Bible and you could know things, but there's a word for that. The Bible, uh, Jesus would call it a Pharisee. You could know scripture. Remember the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus's day? They were like the pompous leaders who, who they pretended to be righteous. And they knew, the Bible says, they knew the Bible forwards and backward. They knew the Torah, all the five books of the Bible, the, the Pentateuch, you know, the, uh, the first five books. They knew it backwards and forwards. They knew the law and scribes were experts of the law. And, and oftentimes, here's what Jesus would say about people who knew the truth but didn't live the truth. Here's what he would say. Uh, look at this verse. Matthew chapter 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs. Whitewash means a beautiful white, sparkling white tombstone that's very beautiful. You are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but in the inside, you're full of dead men's bones 
and uncleanness. Even so, also outwardly, you appear righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Let me share with you one last thing before I close in prayer. And that is, uh, there are things that we can do that actually would, I, would, I would classify as taking off the breastplate of righteousness. When, when these things start to become more common in our lives, when we live careless, when we live out in unbelief, when we're abusing God's grace in our lives, when we live in disobedience directly to what we know to be true, when we tolerate sin, when we refuse to forgive others, when we rely on our own personal strength and righteousness, when we allow earthly concerns to crowd out God's uh, will for our lives. I would say if, the, if that becomes more common in our lives, it, in essence, it'd be like taking off the breastplate of righteousness. I believe there's a story that's actually very poetic, and I'm not going to put it on the screen. This is my final closing story. It's actually a reference to 1 Kings 22. There was an unrighteous king, and they kept on calling, the Bible would say he's an unrighteous king. His name was Ahab. And, and actually, he was fighting uh, the northern, uh, you know, northern Israel was fighting southern Israel, and King Jehoshaphat was a righteous king. And he, and he actually went to battle, and Jehoshaphat wore his kingly armor, like the best armor that you could possibly wear. But, but, but Ahab, the unrighteous king, didn't want to wear his armor because he, didn't want, he was fearful, so he dressed like a peasant. And so he wanted to dress like a commoner in the battle so that nobody would take a shot at him. So he wore peasant armor. So it was, it was choosing to wear peasant armor, which wasn't as protective, wasn't as good, wasn't as, you know, uh, expensive. Uh, it was that reason he got killed. So the Bible literally, you can go home and read this. The Bible literally says during the battle, first of all, it was prophesied. It was predicted that Ahab was going to die in this battle. So God knew. And then it says, there was a verse in the Bible that says, a random soldier, I love this, a random soldier took out his bow and shot randomly in the air. And it just randomly hit a target with Ahab. And because of his uh, breastplate of, of armor not being on right, it says it went through like a scale and the breastplate of armor that he had and it pierced his heart randomly. And it says that the blood from his wound uh, filled the bottom of the chariot and he died. And I think it very poetic that somewhere in the Old Testament, a king that was referred to as unrighteous died because... Of a, of, of a lack of a breastplate. Isn't that poetic? Isn't that wild? I don't know what that means. I just know that it's significant. And I think that, I think that it's very poetic that somehow the Apostle Paul later on in the New Testament uh, talks about the breastplate being righteousness. And so here's what I would say. If you find yourself wanting to say, okay, God, I'm going to put on the armor of, of righteousness. How do I do it, you know? Because I feel like I'm not living in victory. I'm feeling defeated. I feel like maybe I don't have the righteousness of God's nature overpowering my sinful tendencies. How do I do it? Well, what do you do when your lungs and your heart don't work? You perform CPR. So here it is. Confess, pray, and repent. Confess to God and others. Uh, pray for forgiveness and strength. And then repent. Repent means to turn the other way, both in belief and direction. So repent literally means to turn around and go the opposite direction. And so when we repent, we repent, you know, we believe differently. You know, my way is not the better way, God's way is. And then in direction and action to just basically seek and desire the righteousness of God, you know, more than anything and say, God, help me, give me strength, help me to make better choices. I don't have my power in your own. And pretty soon... What happens is the armor becomes, you know, like clothing that is natural. Like the armor gets stronger. 
If a, if a soldier who's, who's a brand new soldier puts on armor, he's going to say, man, this stuff's heavy. A seasoned soldier says, I don't even feel it anymore because my muscles are strengthened to such a degree, it feels like natural clothing to me. And that's what God wants for our lives. He wants us to live in victory. He wants for us to experience the abundant life and the joy that he wants and promises to us. So the armor in the, in, in the breastplate of righteousness is a big step to that peace. So would you, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for today and we thank you, Lord, for your truths. We ask that you please bless us and help us to know what to do, Father, whether it's to confess to you or to others or, Father, to go to you in prayer and to, to begin to, uh, you know, uh, ask you for wisdom, Father, whatever it is uh, that you give to us that conflicts with our own beliefs or our own way of doing things. I pray that we may not only believe that, but that we may run toward it, that we may act it out, Father, that we may not just be hearers of the word, but uh, people who desire to live it out in our lives. And I pray, Father, that when these things take place and when righteous living becomes something that governs our lives, that we would give you the honor, that we would give you the glory and the credit, and that, Father, we would tell your story. Father, when we experience victory and peace and joy and abundant life, Father, we would say, Father, you're not gonna, you're not gonna, uh, the devil is not going to get victory over me today. I pray, Lord, that that would be our prayer. We ask and we pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.
Won't you stand and join us in worship today? song is new for us here. It's a song about all of us have those days where we go out and we feel attacked. But today we're going to put on our armor and we're going to say not today. And won't you sing with us once we get through the song and it sounds familiar to you?
Thank you so much. You know what I love about that song where it says, let the devil know not today. The Bible is so clear that if you will resist the devil, he flees. He's just like any bully. You stand up to him and he can't handle it. And so I want to encourage you this week to tell the devil, not today, not any day this week. And you'll experience the kind of power that Chris was talking about and that the armor of God gives you. And so I hope you live that out, what Chris was talking about this week. Um, as you are headed out, please, 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 if you'd like to adopt a family for Thanksgiving, pick up one of these packets. All the instructions are in there. And if, if there's anything not clear, you can't get a hold of the people that are in this packet, let us know. We will come alongside and help you make sure that you make that connection for Thanksgiving week. And as you head out of here, I want you to be thinking about who you can bring back with you next week that might be holed up in their house a little bit but needs to know something about God and that God loves them and God has a plan for them and God has protection for them. Um, invite them along. You never know when they're going to say yes, um, but this, this next week might be the one. So as we head out of here, um, again, I want to remind you, please keep your mask on all the way to the parking lot. We're going to dismiss from the back of the room forward, just like a wedding. And uh, I want, let's give Chris a hand. Thank you, Chris, for sharing today. Good stuff. Um, I think you did good enough. We'll have you back in 2022. Um, okay. Um, I'm just kidding, man. That was great. Thank you very much. Um, and we will see you guys back here next week. Take care. Have a great week. And we'll let the back row go first, heading out that door. Thank you. <laughs>